0: To be back here. We've been spending some time, as I've been here a couple weeks, we have been spending our time in the book of Psalms. And today we are doing the exact same thing, but I'll tell you, we're singing a different tune today. Because last time, you know, we were kind of more in the laments and processing life together in Psalm 77 and expressing sometimes just godly complaining and frustrations with life, and we were expressing that to God. And Psalm 77 was teaching us that, but today we are actually hitting another one of the Psalter's greatest hits, and we're pushing play on Psalm 98, which I'll tell you, if you've seen the the, the Lego movie and the song, everything is awesome. All right, like it's just really catchy. This Psalm um, resonates with with that movie and that theme. But this actually, this song has a greater reason, right, than just the mundane, you know, everything. But it's a definitely a transition. The one the reason I, I love the Psalter and the book of Psalms in the Old Testament is because they express so much of the human emotions, just all the different spheres, laments, praise, songs of trust, wisdom literature, all these types of songs. And today, even though this may be not a song that we sing, everything is awesome all the time, right? praising God. We don't sing that maybe every day the way we should, but this song today is going to say we should have a, we should have some days that we do that, where we elevate our worship out of our present reality to remember what God has done for us, what he's doing, and will continue to do so that we can sing that our God is awesome, and we can elevate our praise, being encouraged and being filled with hope And so as we look at Psalm 98, I just wanted to give you a touch that it's quite a contrast from last time, but that's okay, that's life, isn't it? Some days are tough. Some days are beautiful. Some days we need caffeine and it gets us where we need to go, right? Well, this psalm today is a psalm that reminds us that God is good in the dark times and the good times, but we can always sing praises, We can always elevate our worship even more than we currently feel because he's worthy of it and because we were created to sing and to worship. And so this psalm today is going to help us actualize that truth and that beauty. So as we dive into Psalm 98, we're going to take a look really at three sections of the text. I am going to tell you where we're going to go and then we're just going to go there. All right. And so we're going to look at verses 1 through 3 in Psalm 98. We're going to see that Jesus is our Savior. The second set we're going to see is verses 4 through 6. And we're going to see that Jesus is our King. And we're going to sing that with great jubilation. But then we're going to continue and even build and crescendo up into our last section, verses 7 through 9, as we sing and see that Jesus is our Judge an equitable judge, filled with mercy and grace. And so that is going to be good news and we're going to resound and sing that loud and proud. And so that's where the psalmist is taking us and that is a beautiful song before us. But before we dive in and uh, get all the beauty of what is here, let's go to the Lord and pray. Let's do that now. Lord Jesus, many of us are tired. Many of us have had long weeks, long days. Um, and, And so some of us may not have that pep in our step to just really sing, Um, Lord, uh, of the great thankfulness that we have for you, what you've done. And so Lord, I ask that as we even go through this beautiful song that is Holy Spirit inspired, you might give us great joy recounting your faithfulness to us, to our friends, but even your people in the past and in your scriptures. Lord, give us hearts of thankfulness so that, Lord, as we see this call to sing, to shout, Lord, to resound in song and worship your worthiness and your greatness, that our hearts might well up, Lord, with emotions that are matching the tone, Lord, and the call of this psalm, because you've been so faithful to us. Lord, may we have some moments or maybe even a whole day where we can give you great thanks Sing loudly and take great joy in who you are and what you've done. Not only because we were created for it, but because we get to, because we think of all the marvelous and wondrous things, Lord, you have done for us. The beauty and truth that they bear, Lord, on our present reality, but also the hope we have for our future. Change our hearts, Lord. Bring this text, Lord, into our hearts and help us to see it as beautiful and connect us with you through it. We love you, Lord Jesus, and all God's people said, amen, amen. All right, so as we're talking about singing this morning, what is it about singing that lifts up our spirits, that makes us feel good when we sing? What is it about singing, right, like vibrating our vocal cords, right, and, and accompanying it with music or even beats that fills us with joy or expresses emotions or maybe even elevates where we are in life or elevates our emotions. Have you ever thought about it, what just the beauty of what singing does and even just changing us and sometimes actualizing things out of us or expressing things or beautifying us. Just Sometimes we just change to be a little more happy when we sing. Have you ever actually thought about what's going on when we sing that begins to sometimes change and elevate our heart attitude or even our emotions I had not actually ever thought about that just the, the, the meticulous nature of maybe even what's going on in my body when I sing and, and what's happening but as I was watching a show on Discovery Channel this past week there was I can't remember the name of the show but there were some folks talking about the power of singing of what it does and they said this paraphrasing Singing releases endorphins, the feel-good chemicals in the brain. And, and when we sing, it not only releases these endorphins, which makes us feel good, but singing naturally acquires of us deep breathing, which when we draw in more oxygen, creates better circulation. So it's, it's just a good thing that's going on. Singing is an aerobic activity, and it's a natural stress reducer. Sometimes it expresses our emotions. Sometimes the words and lyrics express maybe things we don't know how to express. Sometimes it emphasizes what's going on in our life in a way that maybe we just didn't have ways to do that. Or maybe it even elevates us out of our current situation and takes us to a better place, a happier place, a more wonderful place. Singing even can do this in isolation, but it even does this even more so, these folks were saying, when you sing in groups, when you sing together, whether it's in a choral group or us even singing praises in a worship service. Because what's going on is, is as we sing together with collective voices for a common end, common goal, we are being moved from a place of isolation to a place of social connection where we are singing because, one, we were created to sing, but, two, we're singing for a common goal. The beauty and diversity of voices sing the same one, but we're unified in a beautiful way. And so singing has a power that is absolutely beautiful, not only to reduce stress, not only to elevate motion, express things, but also to just help us to enjoy life a little bit more. And as I was thinking about this and thinking about just kind of this TV show, I remembered a concert I went to when I was nine years old. And it was a Michael W. Smith concert at a Christian church in Northern Virginia And we were belting out and singing, hundreds of us, young people, older people, with Michael W. Smith behind his piano, belting out Place in This World, all right? Like this song, if you've never heard it, incredibly catchy, but it just goes like, looking for a reason, roaming through the night to find my place in this world, my place in this world. We're like singing this all together, and if you know that, thank you. And it, I'm telling you, I listened to this song on YouTube just the other day because I was like, this, this song is still catchy 24 years later. <laughs> still good. But I was realizing, and I was like, why was this moment so good? And this time, we were singing collectively, singing praises to God, singing wonderful lyrics, just talking about the glory of God. Um, it was such a good time. And I, like, I just actually, when I was thinking about it, I was like, I got to go look at this song and sing it some more. And it literally elevated my spirit and my heart singing these words. And the show was helping me think through this stuff, that there's something biologically going on, there's something social, something emotional and spiritual going on when we're singing, and especially when we're singing about the glories of who God is and what he's done for us, what he's going to continually do for us. There's something unlocked, something realized and beautified when we sing. And the Bible supports this. There's over 400 References to singing in the Bible, Old and New Testament. There's over 50 direct commands to sing. Right, we even have in the New Testament two commands to sing specifically psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs for the glory of God. And so the Bible loves singing; it calls us to sing. And so, with this understanding and background, it's no wonder that the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament that the psalmist here is calling us to sing a new song because of the glories of who God is and what he's done. Not only us, but with musical accompaniment, but also creation itself is called to sing because we were created for it, but because we have a reason to. And therefore, the psalmist calls us in verse 1 to do this. Psalm 98 verse 1 says, Sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. What the psalmist is claiming here is God's awesome military victory over Pharaoh's army, the Egyptian army that was pursuing the people of God and the psalmist is singing and claiming victory and salvation for the people of God over certain slavery and death. And the psalmist is calling the people of God, sing because you have been freed from slavery and from death. You have reason to sing, so sing because of God's marvelous acts that he's done on your behalf. Recalling, The ten plagues, the miracles, these mighty things that God did, breaking into our natural world and doing supernatural things for his people and their benefit, and also his glory. He parted the Red Sea to let the people of God go through the Red Sea, but then he closed it back down on the Egyptian army, destroying them. That's a mighty, wonderful act of God caring for his people. We also see the psalmist, right, he's recalling to the Israelites... That God even walked with them, right? During the day when they're leaving the desert, he was there with the divine glory cloud by day, but also a pillar of fire by night as he led his people. When their people were in need and wanting for water and food, he provided. There was a rock. Moses struck it because God told him to. And water flows from a rock in the desert to provide for all of God's people. They were hungry. He sends them manna anew each day to provide for them in the desert. And the psalmist is saying, people of God, remember this. Remember how God has provided for you. He's loved you. So that you might be able to sing with great reason that God is good. That God is amazing. That God loves you. That he's with you as he's always been. Recall these things. Because you may not be feeling this in your present reality, but this is true of who God is now even if you don't feel it and so he says sing because God is worthy and he is good this is a truer reality the psalmist is calling the people of God to realize oftentimes we're just stuck in our own day-to-day humdrum going through the mundane things of life and, and sometimes that's difficult and he's saying sometimes we need moments to be elevated out of that to see a greater reality. And he's doing that through singing and through song and saying this is true of who God is in the past. This is the same God in his character who's true and who's in control of your life now. And because that's true, we have reason to sing. That God is faithful. He has us in control. And he even reigns as a king now. He saves us, but he also reigns as king. And that's why the psalmist joyously says his right hand and his holy arm they have worked salvation for israel he god has remembered his love and his faithfulness to israel and all of the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of god this is language of uh, of military language of god's right right hand and his holy arm of his might working on behalf of his people who didn't always treat him well and sinned quite often, much like us. And God is working on their behalf for their peace, for their shalom, for their contentment, their joy, but obviously their everlasting salvation. He's working on their behalf to provide, to care for them. Despite their faithlessness, he is faithful. And therefore the psalmist calls us to sing a new song, verse 1 says, a different song than the normal one that we experience every day or the things that we feel just going through life. Sing a new song. Because the reality is God is good. Even through the mundane and even through the hardships and suffering and difficulty. God is good. This is a true reality. And if we have a God who's for us, right, as some of the Chris Thomas songs, who can be against us, right? But that, that verse comes through scripture. We have a God who is for us. We don't have a wishy washy God, right? Maybe you've seen the movies of the different mythological gods and goddesses who are fickle and they change. Well, the God in the Old Testament is a faithful God who's in the New Testament, but also now in the church age and the age to come, his nature doesn't change. And we sing songs because as we look to the past, we see God's faithful. He's faithful to us now. That gives us reason to sing. But in light of the New Testament, which we have now, we can sing with greater gusto as we read this psalm Because we can read this psalm with a New Testament lens on that Jesus has done a greater exodus than Moses. Exodus, right, in the Old Testament was liberating of Israel, God's people, one nation, one time, right? Some people say it was in 1200 BC or maybe it was in 1400 BC. One people, one time. They were taken out of Egypt. When Jesus died on the cross, he liberated people, all time periods, from the beginning to the end, and all nations. Do you understand the magnitude of that? When Jesus Christ and the Exodus and salvation that He has brought his people is for people throughout time, from the beginning until the end. That's what His blood did. That's the work on the cross that He's done. Paying for all of our inappropriate comments and thoughts and all the different things that we do in this life, paying for on the cross our addictions to pornography, our lustful thoughts, our inappropriate sexual comments that we've made, our jokes, our workaholism, our, our hatred or jealousy towards other people, our self-centered, sometimes resume-building lifestyle, our scarcity mindset, which keeps us from selflessly pouring into others and just hoarding things for ourselves, our incessant people-pleasing, Jesus died for these things, for you and for me, for people throughout time to pay for them, for all of his people. That's the magnitude in which God has brought salvation to his people. Those are the wonderful acts which he's done. And in light of that beauty, we're called to sing a new song because we have one who sits on heaven's mercy seat. In Leviticus 16, uh, we are told that on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, um, the Levitical priest would sprinkle uh, the blood of a bull on top of the mercy seat to atone for the sins of God's people once a year on the day of the Lord. And um, we no longer practice that today. That's good news. You don't see many of us up here, or Carlos, or me, or anybody else, bringing up bulls and slaughtering and whatnot and having steak after and all that. We don't do that, right? We're not doing those things. Why? Because Jesus Christ has been the perfect sacrifice for us. We no longer do this. And the reason why the psalmist says, now we go from singing to now shouting, even elevating, right? Because we're building up. We go to this place because we have a God who displays his great mercy, not to just one nation, but to people of all nations, all ethnicities, every tongue, every color, all folks. That Jesus is king, not just of one nation, but all nations. And because of that, we are called to elevate our song from singing, now to shouting. We see this, shouting for joy that Jesus is king in verses four through six. Let's read. It says, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth, bursting in jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with harp and with harp and the sound of singing with the trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the king. Why? Because the king has put on display his marvelous acts not only to his own people, but for all nations to see. All people saw God's favor, his love for his people. They were witness, they heard about this. God revealed his majesty. The good news here that we have even Paul exclaiming in Romans 11 is that not only are the Jews recipients of this grace, but also Gentiles are recipients of this grace. Gentiles meaning anybody who's not born of a Jewish mother who's not a Jew. Gentiles and Jews alike are recipients of this grace and this mercy. The olive tree, Gentiles are engrafted into it, is the biblical imagery we get in this Romans passage in 11. And that is a beautiful thing that God has come for both people of every nation and every tongue. That he is eternally connecting us in Christ. And loving the beautiful diversity. And he's pouring it out on people who are the worst of sinners. And it is because of his grace. And he gives that to us. And we elevate our worship because not only is this salvation for the Jews, but for the Gentiles and all of God's people. All who he has called according to his purpose. The extension of his grace to people of every nation, every tongue black, white, rich, poor, right? Working moms stay-at-home moms, those who are gamers, those who are athletes, right? those who are working in their careers and been with a company for 30, 40 years, those who've moved to jobs every two, three years. He's come for everybody. And he he's, he's coming for them and he says, this grace is for all my people of every nation, every tongue. And the psalmist, as he sees this beautiful grace being for the nations, that we have a king who even also rules over the nations with great equity and mercy says we have to elevate this song not from singing but the shouting because this is great news that we have a king who didn't just save us and just leave us he saves us then he rules over us sustaining us, providing for us protecting us, caring for us every step of the way and because of this we sing and now we shout but the psalmist he doesn't stop there because he says saving yes, king now. But you know what? We also have a God who's going to do even more beautiful work in the future. And because of that, we have to dial up our praise from 10 to 11 because 10 won't do it. All right. We have to have even a higher, greater praise because of how good God is and how beautiful he is. Caring for not only us, but caring also for all of his creation. Some of you might wonder, all right, Jeff, Though. Combined voices, right? Singing to shouting. So now sometimes you don't even have the beauty of maybe the singing because now we're shouting, you know, really loudly and whatnot. And now there's musical accompaniment. How can you elevate that song anymore? That's a great question. The psalmist tells us how we elevate this song, and it's not what you you or I might think, right? Maybe adding amplification or maybe a third drum set or who knows whatever else. He says, "How about this? How about we elevate this song, singing glory to God." by having mountains singing, oceans raging, and how about we have rivers clapping? And how about we add all of that? How about we get creation in on this to sing glory to God in the highest as a climax and coda for this song, right? The psalmist shouts in verse seven, let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. He says in verse eight, let the rivers clap their hands and mountains sing for joy. You're probably thinking, what kind of craziness is this? that this would be included in the psalm. Clearly, rivers do not have hands, right? And mountains do not have vocal cords. So what in the world could be going on that this would be added like, this is just weird, but somehow it's a climax of this song that the psalmist is singing. You're saying, all right, maybe I got that spinal tap quote for going from 10 to 11. It's a movie quote in there. But now you're saying, to bring it a little bit more up to date, right, in the illustration, you're now saying that rivers are calling us to do the fits and tantrums hand clap along with us. And you're like, I don't know about this. This is weird. Well, it's weird because we live in a broken world with broken bodies, but also creation is broken. Genesis 3, not only were our hearts broken, but the world is broken. So we have never seen creation in its restored, recreated sense, fulfilling its greatest and and most fullest purpose. But yet creation also reflects who God is, being created by God just like us. And so we're getting an element and a picture of maybe what heaven will be like, where not only we are singing praises to God, singing, shouting, and musical accompaniment, but even the earth in its recreated, restored form is singing and and, and showing glory back to God itself as well. And this is an element that most of us don't think about, but the world is subject to frustration just as we were and maybe this is imagery of something that's even grander than what we could fathom ourselves but is yet before us and lies in the future because creation itself was created by God and reflects his majesty and his goodness and his greatness we have reason the same because we have savior we have a king but also we have a judge as well This picture of mountains rumblings, of seas raging, and of winds right howling and rivers splashing, this is imagery and anticipation for their final restoration. That no more will there be brokenness, even not only in our bodies, our hearts and our minds and emotions, but even the world itself would no longer be broken. This is anticipation for one day, a greater fulfillment, a wholeness and completeness of redemption. Paul in Romans 8 says this, he says, for I consider that the suffering of this present time, that it's not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation itself was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him, Adam, who subjected it in hope that the creation of itself will be set free one day from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together and the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, who groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We groan and long for completion. No more tears, no more sadness, no more broken hearts, no more divorces, no more getting fired, no more having to check your 401k just to think about retirement, all these things or your children and what are they doing all the weekends. No more worrying about any of that. Right one day in the in the future when the Lord comes back to restore all things to bring perfection. But in the meantime, we groan. Redemption for our bodies, our hearts, our minds, for our families, for our churches, for our people in our city. So creation also groans and longs for completion, for wholeness as well. And the psalmist is saying, Jesus has paid for it already. He's paid for it. We have been redeemed spiritually. But he's also longing for the day that, you know what, because he's paid for it spiritually, we know physically one day we're going to get to reap those benefits too. The, The down payment has been made. We're just waiting for the full consummation collection of what's already been paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's the hope that we have. That one day this will be no more creation, no more groans. We no longer groan from the aches and pains of ailing bodies. But we have a future where we can celebrate and everything is awesome because God has restored all things and is with us forevermore in heaven with him where everything is beautiful and perfect and restored, even our physical bodies, even this physical realm and earth that we live in. That's the beauty, the psalmist is longing for this and saying, but I know my God's gonna do it. I know it's true. And we can look at this with New Testament lenses and and sing and shout with even greater force now because we've had this actualized. Jesus has paid for it. The psalmist looked for the Messiah to fill this. Knew it was coming and placed his hope and faith that it would. But we now can look back and say, Jesus has done it. We are now waiting for this to be true of us and our world once again. That is the hope of the Christian faith of human flourishing and of restoration, but also judgment that there would be justice as well for all the injustices that have happened to us and in our world. And we sing and we elevate our song because there will be justice for what has been wrong in our lives, what has been wrong to us, but also our world. And we sing a new song because we have hope that Jesus Christ will come back again and restore all that is broken in your heart and your mind when you leave today, I know you all have things that are not going well in your lives or brokenness or whatever it is. And the hope for you today is that you have a God who is king of your life and is even using all those mundane and difficult things for his greater glory in some way, shape, and form. But not only that, but you have hope that if you trust in Jesus Christ, all that messed up, all that turmoil, all that strife will one day no longer be. But you will be in perfection with God, with all other believers singing praises even with creation because God is good and he is restored and redeemed. That which he has promised to do. That is the hope that we have. The already is it's been paid for. The not yet is is we are waiting to experience that. Whether we go to meet our maker before he comes back or he returns before we physically die. But the hope is is not only spiritual restoration but even physical And so the psalmist says, we have reason to sing. We have reason to shout. We have reason to even long for and look for creation and and, and entertaining with creation. Glory to God reflecting it back. Because one day our God will restore all things. And one day we will sing a new song without effort, without having to conjure up our heart or wrestling ourselves out of numbness or indifference. But one day, We will be able to sing this because we are experiencing it every day of our lives anew. That's the hope. That's the beauty that lies before us. And that's what gives the reason for this psalmist singing. Amen? That is the hope that we have. And I hope, even as we sing, as we close this out, that we would remember the wonderful acts that God has done for us. He's done in the past so that we might sing with greater anticipation that this will be true one day of us too. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, passages like this are incredibly hard to go through because they're so sometimes foreign and so different from maybe what our current reality is. And they're calling us out of maybe the humdrum or difficulty or tiredness of our lives or whatever it might be. And it's calling us to elevate our worship to singing, to something that maybe we don't even feel right now. But I pray, Lord, that you would Recall to our mind your faithfulness to us, your generosity, your provision, your protection to us, Lord Jesus, because you have never left us. You will never forsake us. And Lord Jesus, you will redeem our broken hearts, broken emotions, our broken pasts, our broken bodies. We long for that. But we have hope and we know that it is true and that that is what lies before us. Because you have sent your son to pay for that future. And he has paid in full. We do not sit on the mercy seat. We do not sprinkle our blood. But you have sprinkled your sons for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the wonderful things you've done. Lord, spur our hearts. Elevate our hearts. So that we might sing with greater gusto, Lord of the goodness and faithfulness of who you are when we are unfaithful to you. We love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for even psalms like this which challenge us to remember your beauty and your glory in ways that sometimes we have not tasted or seen, but what we long for. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name and all God's people said, Amen.